This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 45, Comic Reviews for the week of January the 16th. Welcome back to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, and this is episode 45, where we're looking at the comics that were released uh, January the 16th, 2013. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm a sometime reviewer for cgmagazine.ca, also known as Comics and Gaming Magazine in Canada. Also, I, uh, I used to write for uh, comicstream.com, which became cxpulp.com. Once in a while, I still uh, contribute a review there, but it's been quite a while, so... Uh, the best place to uh, get my opinions on comics, etc., if you care at all, is either on this podcast or at cgmagazine.ca, although my output is relatively limited these days, but so most of, mostly it's on the podcast these days. So just jumping into the comics that came out this past week, uh, I apologize first of all that we're not getting this episode up till Monday. Uh, this has been a common theme the last few weeks that although the episodes originally were supposed to go up on Sundays, uh, just due to my other, my day job, I guess, uh, I had to push that back. Uh, there's just not enough time for me to read all the comics necessary and even then I don't necessarily get as many uh, opportunities to read as many comics as I would like to for the podcast so um, usually you find that we're probably reviewing between 15 and 20 books a week in this audio podcast, which is still a lot of books, but there's still like usually like 10 to 12 that don't get covered Um, it all depends also because Sometimes there'll be a week where there's a lot of good stuff, uh, or there'll be a week of a lot of titles that I just don't follow and, to be honest, don't have a lot of interest in following, or I open up the comic and I go through a few pages and I'm like, you know, this just isn't for me, and then I just kind of stop there. It doesn't help those who are more interested in those titles, but I do apologize. Uh, Sometimes I'm a little inconsistent on the titles I follow. There's some titles where I'll follow them and then I'll just kind of drop off for a while. It's... Either it's, it didn't really hold my interest or the art, something about it made it not as necessary for me to read it. Uh, so starting this week off on a high note, relatively speaking, is All New X-Men number 6. Uh, so I'll just pull that up right now. So All New X-Men number 6, I love the cover first of all. I love that we have a shadow cat in her modern costume and they got the shadow of Professor Xavier behind her. Uh, I guess she's Professor P, uh, as I think I mentioned in... Maybe even a future episode, episode 46, where we're going to be looking at top five favorite X-Men. I think I make mention of this, I think, in that podcast. Uh, so this is um, obviously written by Bendis, but this issue, Stuart Eminem takes a day off, I guess. Uh, he takes an issue off. Given how this has been like, basically a bi-weekly book, um, I don't in any way fault him for taking some time off. <laughs> it's kind of necessary in order to, to be able to consistently provide the high level of quality of artwork that he's been able to do so far. Uh, in his place, we have David Marquez, who recently did a really good stint on um, Ultimate Spider-Man, which is Sarah Pacelli's book, but Sarah Pacelli briefly left that book when she was working on Spider-Man, and in her absence, David Marquez kind of uh, stepped up to the plate, and his artwork was gorgeous there. And now he's writing, he's, sorry, not writing, he's illustrating a mainstream X-book. Um... And this is a really good book. I mean, it's it's de- it's definitely quieter in tone, I guess, than the first five issues. The first five issues were more like, um, you know, things were happening very quickly. Um, he had to bring the team from the past. He had to also show why Cyclops is kind of going off the rails and what he's doing now. You had a lot going on, and there was a, a pacing that was really a high... Uh, high velocity because you had Beast dying, etc. Now that's kind of been abated, but now you have the idea that these X Men from the past are now in the present. How are they going to deal with this? I guess now that now that the the stage has pretty much been set, we're able to foc- change the focus of the story, and we're allowed to make it more about sorry about these kids. And now uh, Cyclops' team is now going to be the focus of uh, the Uncanny X Men book. 
Uh, this is, again, it's a quiet issue for the most part. You have uh, Jean Grey kind of struggling with her powers, and you have her having a great moment with Kitty. Um, you have, there's just some really good moments of Cyclops not liking him. No, no one trusts him. No one believes in him. Uh, everyone looks at him and they hate him because of what he's become, and that's pretty tough to deal with. So he kind of goes on the lamb and it, very fu- kind of funny that like, he takes Wolverine's bike, and then the artwork is gorgeous here. I mean, when he uh, does take Wolverine's bike, and he he blasts Wolverine away, and there's this shot where he gets on the bike, and he just kind of you see him adjusting his visor. It's just such an awesome shot. Uh, very cool. I, I just it's a very cool looking book. Um, you have Angel meeting Angel, and, and that. It's, that's, it's interesting, like, these are the type of weird things, like, what would these characters really say if they met each other, and now they get to meet each other, and think, what the hell happened, or why does no one talk about me, why do I have metal wings, um, I'm interested to see where Mystique is coming in here, um, and what her kind of play is going to be on everything, but, uh, I'm really excited by this title, um, I wasn't too sure when it started, it felt a little slow at first, but, Generally, like this, it's getting into the meat and the the real the, the real steak of the steak and, steak and potatoes that we we were given by Bendis. Like the stuff in the current stuff with the current uh, Cyclops and his new team, these building that's cool in its own way. But there's something really really neat about seeing these younger versions dealing with, you know, what they haven't done yet, but everyone looks at them that way. Um, so I actually really dug it. I gave it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Avengers Assemble number eleven. I wasn't a huge fan of the last few issues, and I, I still kind of have the same kind of complaints. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick wrote this with artwork by Stefano Caselli. It it definitely is very much the movie Avengers in every way. Um, that being said, I kind of like how Hulk and Spider Woman kind of interact here. And it's kind of a weird. It almost felt like this 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 uh, storyline could have gone longer, and usually that's not the case. Usually things feel overly drawn out. This almost felt like it ended too quickly. Um, that being said, I liked, I liked how they dealt with the threat. I liked how the, the teams worked together. Um, overall, I'd have to say it's pretty enjoyable. You have this 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 uh, big threat. This guy's trying to create biological weapons, basically. And the Avengers are confronting him. They're basically thwarting his plans. And they're, they end him pretty quickly, which is kind of why I thought that... that it should have been more to it. Uh, that being said, then we have the issue ends with uh, the naked bet uh, causing Hulk and uh, Tony to walk through the streets of New York naked. Kind of odd. It wasn't... I'll say it wasn't like a great issue. The artwork by Stefano Caselli didn't quite feel as sharp as his artwork has been in the past. It was still a good book. Um, it just kind of felt a little a little flatter than it needed to. It was still good. I mean, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. It's not in any way a bad rating. It just could have been a little bit more, um, if that makes any sense. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure if it does. Next up is Avenging Spider-Man number 16. I was excited to see what this was like. It's got the most awkward tagline on the pos- possible on the c- cover, though, because you have Marvel Comics Presents, okay, the superior superheroics of the Avenging Spider-Man. Really? Like, you can't just leave it Avenging Spider-Man. You have to throw in that weird superior tagline. That being said, I love the issue. Uh, Chris Yost wrote it with uh, art by uh, Medina. Um, I, I really dug everything about this. I mean, I like... You know, this book felt very superfluous when it was just Peter Parker teaming up with heroes. And it technically hasn't changed, but I really want to see the Doc Ock version of Spider-Man teaming up with different heroes. And the X-Men, you wouldn't be like, oh, that doesn't, you know, what, what would make it that good? What makes it really interesting to me is just seeing how he 
kind of chafes against them, how he kind of ends up beating up Wolverine, which was kind of awesome. And then also how, uh, you know, he has to try and get his way out of Jean Grey, uh, not Jean Grey, Rachel Summers uh, reading his mind. Also, you have possibly a, a long-term threat being set up because Jackal's showing up here and maybe they're actually going to go somewhere with this and Jackal might actually be a threat. Uh, so I, I dug this. This was actually uh, really enjoyable and fun and, yeah, I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, seeing Doc Ock, his version of Spider-Man uh, teaming up with other heroes, it, well, first of all, not the only time that happens this week, uh, but I, I just it's, it, it's an interesting spin because... It, and and this in this book at least we get to see it through his eyes, um, and it's just it's really interesting how he teams up with them and how he's kind of looking at the others and how he operates around the X Men and seeing how much access he has to Spider Man's memories and how he's still trying to get used to the powers and and you know the body has reflexes but the mind is kind of superseding them in some cases because he's not he's not he hasn't learned anything like he's still learning to be spider-man so it's actually quite cool um really enjoyed this i gave this an eight and a half out of ten this was just a great book uh now we're going to lead into our i guess our three bat related books that all happened so they're all part of the uh death of the family storyline they all kind of end in a similar way first up is background number 16 uh, I was really disappointed by the artwork in this book. Uh, the script by Gail Simone did feel a little padded. It didn't feel quite as on point as normal. I feel like usually her scripts are a little bit punchier than this, and I felt like there was a lot of exposition by Joker when there didn't necessarily need to be any. Or it didn't even feel like uh, the the best type of... I'm trying to think of the words. Like there, There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of kind of crazy talk. But I don't necessarily feel like it all felt as natural as it could have, and it just kind of felt like it was being padded out towards an ending, which was unfortunate. Uh, the artwork is split by Ed Bennis and Daniel Semper or Semper. Uh, the Ed Bennis work is probably the scratchiest, uh, most inconsistent work I've ever seen from him on some on like every other page, because then you have a page where it's really well done, and then you have a page where it's really sloppy, and I couldn't decide if it was purely because of the pencils, or also a combination of the inks and colors, but some of these pages just didn't work, and then you had the the other artist doing the rest, and I thought his page, his pages were actually almost superior. Like, they felt almost more consistent in tone with what this book has become and what we're used to having than the Bennis material, so that was kind of strange. Basically, this is issue is about Joker wanting to marry Batgirl. Batgirl basically has kind of got her back against the wall because her mom is about, has already lost, I believe, a finger. And now she's on top of like a bomb and she kind of has to go along with whatever Joker wants. Her her brother kind of enters the scene and there's a, there's a little bit of a weird fake out with his, her brother, who's giant, a giant douchebag, basically. Um, and then the ending is a little weird, but if you've read the uh, Batman and Batman and Robin it becomes a little more confusing as to what exactly is that supposed to be and how. And what I didn't like about the ending here is it says to be concluded in Batman 17, which kind of makes me feel like I, I want some kind of resolution to this story in Batgirl's own book. And I don't know if we're actually going to get that from the next issue or not, if this is wrapping up in Batman. Now, it makes sense because Death of the Family should end there, but I think her tie-ins to that could end on some sort of note that is at least conclusive or at least ends her part in the story. Uh, or in a, at least a way which feels more satisfying. If I'm just buying Batgirl, I'm pretty pissed off right now because now i got to read a book that I don't necessarily buy. Again, I've read it, so I'm not this person, but if I'm just buying Batgirl, now I have to go out of my way to buy a book 
which is four dollars a month. It's three ninety nine for a book that I don't actually follow to f- see the ending of this story. And now, if I really want to understand the full story, I'm going to have to go back and get a few more issues, which it just feels a bit like a trap, and that's unfortunate. But I did give Batgirl an 8 out of 10. It was a pretty solid read, even though I had my problems with the artwork being a little inconsistent. It was still an enjoyable read. Uh, next up is Batman 16, which definitely felt like... Um, it kind of suffered from the same problems that Batgirl did, in that it had almost too much of the crazy you know, Joker exposition, just him talking, and not enough of the... like I don't know, it just didn't quite feel as... Uh, menacing or as crazy and scary as the last few issues have been. The last few issues have been really amped up like to the max, and then this issue didn't feel like it quite um, carried through on that. Uh, it's written by Scott Snyder, obviously, with artwork by, I believe, yeah, Greg Capullo, still doing the artwork. Um, it's, it's still an enjoyable book, uh, and I like seeing Batman kind of going through um, Arkham and, and dealing with like all the mental games and everything, all the gymnastics he's kind of having to jump through in order to keep on target, keep on point, so he can get through to Joker. But then when he finally gets there, um, it just it, I think that's when it kind of fell off the rails a little because he, he's like riding a horse and he sees this weird tapestry of of uh, all these you know bodies and the story of Batman and Joker kind of written on there. And I like how as he's it kind of felt like a video game because. Or more like a Mega Man video game, because in Mega Man you have to kind of defeat all the boxes you already defeated in order to get to the main boss at the very end. So this kind of felt like he was running through, taking care of Scarecrow, Clayface, etc. And then he finally is almost where he needs to be, and then Joker's there, and he has the throne set up. Um, And that just kind of is where I lost part of it, because I don't know why Joker really needs Two-Face, Riddler, and uh, Penguin to be there. And that's where it kind of fell off the rails. I didn't know... I like Joker kind of being a lone operator, and having him have them there just felt kind of weird. I'm interested to see where the storyline ends, but I just felt like that really kind of pulled, took, took it away. And the backup, I'm not a big fan of the artwork, but I do like how it at least shows that, like, you know, the other villains are definitely um, trapped there just as much as Batman is, and Joker's crazy, and it's time for dinner, and I don't know what this is, means exactly. And this is the first time, I think, where the backup really didn't need to be a backup. I think it was more that Capullo didn't have enough time to do an, a, a full-sized issue, so they just decided to make it a backup, but really it's an extension of the main plot, which feels weird. I gave it a 9 out of 10. As I said, it's not quite as strong as the previous issues had been, but it's still pretty good. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin 16. This is by Peter J. Tomasi, and artwork by uh, Patrick Leeson. I actually pretty much dug this. It's a it's really creepy. It's the idea that you know Batman's there and he's he's fighting Robin and he's been infected with the Joker toxin and uh, Damon's doing his very best not not to hurt him. Not he's trying not to fight his father. He's trying to and basic idea is that one of them will have to live, one of them will die, and uh, Robin is like you know fine, I, I'm going to kill you, and he's like I can't do it. You're going to have to kill me. And then we find out that it wasn't really Batman, which we kind of already assumed. It was some guy who, I guess, had a dojo or at least had enough skills that he could at least fight against um, Damien for a little while, which, again, still feels like it's kind of pushing the limits of possibility because of how skilled uh, Robin is. Uh, And then when it ends, we're, again, we're kind of at the same point that we were in Batgirl, where you got uh, Joker wearing some clothes, which it's almost the same kind of clothes, but it's still different slightly. And he's got this, um, uh, I forget even the word... When you're when you're about to serve someone dinner, you got the tray and you have the little the thing on top that blocks it. I cannot think of the, the word for the life of me. And again, 
concludes in Batman 17. So if you're reading Batman and Robin, you might be a little irked. Uh, overall, still really good title. It's such a great uh, exploration of Damien as a character. He cannot kill his father. He isn't who his mother wants him to be. He's not a killer, and he'd rather have his dad kill him. Like He couldn't do it. He could not kill his father. Um, fascinating. A really good character study. Good job on Tomasi. The Joker stuff, again, felt a little overplayed at times, but other than that, pretty enjoyable. Uh, next up is Captain America number three, which is a book I just do not care for. Um, I get what Remember's going for. He's going for that crazy, weird Jack Kirby vibe of the, I guess, the 70s when he came back on Cap. I just don't care for that, especially after the last eight years of really solid kind of espionage and the more down-to-earth superheroics, and then you got this weird Dimension Z stuff. It just doesn't work for me. The John Romita Jr. artwork is just not good. I am a fan of the guy, usually, but this is not his best work by any means. Rick Remender, this feels like a sloppy script. Um, I kind of... I, I just... I just don't know what the point is here. We have flashbacks to early Zola and early uh, Steve. I like the early Steve flashbacks, uh, but again, he almost looks too young because of John Reader's artwork. It makes him look like if that's 10 years basically before he became Captain America and he's supposed to be what? And he's like, I don't know, 20, 25. He just, I guess he's 10, but he just looks too ridiculous. He looks like he made him too young, but he should be older. And he even dresses a little bit older, and the way he walks and talks feels older. But then he's, especially there's the shot where he's walking along with his friend, and his head looks too big for his body. It just doesn't work. Um, and, and then the last page here, I don't even understand what that means, uh, with Arnim Zola kind of being grafted onto Steve Rogers' chest. When did that happen and where? And I just didn't like this. I, I gave it a 6 out of 10 because on a technical level, it's not poorly written. It's not poorly illustrated. Well... At some points, I just don't care, and I'm not engaged at all. I just was flipping through it. I'm like, I do not care about the story. I want it to be more interesting. I want it to be more enjoyable. I want it to be more engaging, and it is none of those things, which is very disappointing. Uh, so, as I said, six out of ten. Next up is Captain Marvel, uh, and that would be number nine. Uh, this was actually pretty good. Um, I've kind of fallen off on on Captain Marvel. Um, I read the first few issues, I kind of liked it, but then I just, I didn't really stick with it that much. Um, this issue, I, I liked how it was written, I even, I really liked the cover, I wish the artwork matched it at all. This is another Kelly Sue DeConnick book, so that's two books by her this month, this week. Um, the artwork in this issue is by, I guess, Felipe, or, uh, yeah, Felipe Andrade, or Andrade, I, I, I apologize, I don't even know how, how you're supposed to, um, uh, pronounce that. Jordi Belair is colorist. I, I like his colors. Not necessarily here. Uh, I do like the cover by Jamie McKelvey, though. Um, the artwork is very loose, very... It's just not very... Um, if you look at it, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, the details are really loose, and it's it doesn't really have... A, it doesn't feel like an American superhero comic, if that makes sense, in terms of the way that the characters are somewhat illustrated and again very loose pencils and inks not sure how i feel about that but i really did like the script i found the script to be actually quite strong the artwork not as much um i feel like this is more like a a, a case where you have a a nine and then maybe a, a six um like a nine on story six on artwork and then it gives you a seven and a half overall because it was an enjoyable read it's basically a day in the life of carol she's got her day planned out for her she's got all this to-do list and all these things she has to do i'm hoping it sets up her new status quo but i i guess that's the problem with this series is that it doesn't really feel like we really get a sense of who carol is and why we care uh, i'm hoping we get more of that 
again, I, I have missed a few issues, so there might have been something I've missed up until now, but up till now, I haven't quite been in this, and I'm hoping that maybe if we get a better artist on here, that it'll pick up. Um, next up is Daredevil number 22, which was one of my favorite reads, I guess, this week, besides... Uh, you know, I'm going to go back, actually. Avenging Spider-Man number 16, I'm actually going to upgrade to a 9 out of 10. Because um, I'm looking at the, the Daredevil, and I realized I was giving it a 9, and sorry to spoil I'm giving Daredevil number 22 a 9. Uh, and I realized, well, was it that much better? And I'm like, no, it wasn't better than Avenging. It was just as good. So I figure I should elevate one of them instead of degrading, uh, downgrading, sorry, uh, Daredevil. Uh, this is written by Mark Wade with artwork by Chris Samney. Uh, Samney does a brilliant job in the artwork. I mean, this book has just had an embarrassment of riches in terms of it started off with Paolo Rivera and Marcos Martin. I'm with Chris Samney. All three artists are just were killing it on this book. Um, the colors by, I believe, I have to actually check the colors, I think it's by Rodriguez, Javier Rodriguez, are really keep a consistent visual tone, um, I like how the, the issue begins with Matt Murdock kind of, again, a day in his life where he's basically about to be broke, but first it's kind of him saying, you know, how do you survive these days in, in these modern day and age with money, and, um, it's actually really cool and it kind of a very real world uh, sensibility that with all the you know advancements in, in money production that Matt can't tell what his money is anymore. So he has to kind of do the tried and true methods of uh, folding them certain ways so that he can kind of know what money he has. And then uh, just when he thinks that his day can't get any worse, Spider-Man comes after him and he's like, well, Spider-Man's my buddy. And, but then suddenly Spider-Man's acting totally different. And then in the middle of this, suddenly there's a, uh, there's Stiltman and Stiltman's had some upgrades and it, basically, this is a great venue for a team-up between this new version of Spider-Man and Daredevil. And uh, I like how Daredevil's kind of like, you know, what have you been doing? He's trying to piece together kind of what's going on. And finally, uh, Spider-Man starts to act a little bit more like the Peter Parker Spider-Man. And Daredevil is less uh, kind of wondering what's going on at that point. But he's still kind of wondering what's going on with this character. Uh, and then finally, he decides to make things up to uh, Foggy Nelson. And they're going to be friends again. Uh, and it's a very honest moment for Matt because he's kind of saying like, this is what's been going on. This is how I feel. This is my problem that I've, I like keeping secrets and I'm almost like I'm addicted to keeping secrets and I'm sorry, I got to be better than this. And then Foggy's like very real with him and tells him that basically he's, he's got cancer or at least they're, they're running tests right now. Um, that he's got they're that they're pretty sure he's got cancer. Uh, which definitely felt like a very real-world kind of thing that have happened, that you have two guys who are best friends, and they're fighting over one thing, and uh, it turns out there's another secret that's much more important that you don't even realize, and one of them might even have cancer. And it's it's played somberly, which is appropriate, and the book just, from the stuff at the beginning with the real-world uh, kind of uh, sensibilities of what it would be like to be Matt Murdock and be blind in today's modern world, uh, even with his special powers, there's certain things that, that don't work, and one of them is handling money, and it's still difficult, it's still uh, an issue, a uh, challenge. And then you transition into this great team-up with Spider-Man, and they fight against... First, they're fighting each other, and then they're fighting against Stiltman, and then you have this emotional honesty at the end where he comes clean to Foggy Nelson, and then Foggy Nelson tells him, he lays the big bomb on, bomb on him and tells him it's cancer. It's just a fantastic issue. It had levity, it had action, it had... Uh, some great sensibilities, and it had some, some really good character moments for both Matt and Foggy, and I gave it a 9 out of 10. A great book. Uh, next up is Death, Deathstroke number 16. I believe this is the first issue of Deathstroke to not be plotted out by Rob Liefeld. Uh, it's written by Justin Jordan with artwork by Edgar Salazar. 
Um, you know, I actually kind of liked it. I mean, it it very much felt like, um, you know, if you've been eating too much McDonald's. No, sorry, not McDonald's. But it basically felt like fast food that wasn't the fast food that you're maybe used to, but it wasn't ho- it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. It's like going to Burger King if you're a McDonald's fan and being like, you know what, that Whopper wasn't so bad. Those fries were actually kind of tasty. Like, it's still not as good as what you wanted if you, like, it's still not as good as McDonald's if that's your preference, or vice versa. Um, but it was still relatively good and better than what you expected. Uh, that's what I got from Deathstroke. It's basically him kind of training, um, he's there to kill this, this unkillable man, and he links up with, basically, this resistance force, and they've been, they've been training, getting ready for an uprising, and he kind of leads them and and tries to help them achieve their ends. And he also wants to make sure that he's able to achieve his goal and finish his contract, which is to kill the unkillable man. And by helping the people kind of rise up and take out this this despot in a very messed up but, like, kind of interesting way, like, the guy can't die unless he wills it to die, but they, like, massacre his body and they, like, ripping him apart. And he's basically saying, well, this is going to be the rest of your life. And then so the guy, in Deathstroke gives him a gun, the guy shoots himself in the face. Or in the head, sorry. And he ends his own life because he can only die when he wills it. Uh, and that way, Deathstroke's contract is complete. The the mark is down. Um, so I actually kind of thought that was cool. It wasn't the best issue I've ever read of any comic. The artwork was a little bit clunky at times. But for the most part, it was pretty clean. Um, the story was straightforward. It, it, again, it, it wasn't like it was trying to give you... It wasn't like it was trying to give you this great steak. And you have to really devour this steak. It was more like, here's a hot dog. You're going to like it. Okay, it wasn't the greatest hot dog I ever had, but it was still tasty and it still did the job. That's two metaphors with food that I just mentioned. So, you're welcome. Uh, So I gave that a 7 out of 10. Next up is Indestructible Hulk, number 3, which I'm really liking. Mark Wade seems to be able to cut to the core of a character quite easily. Um, And so I like that he has this new version of Bruce Banner kind of being... You know, he is more dedicated to science, and I, I'm really excited to see the future, what happens in the future now that he has his, a team basically getting assembled of new characters, so he'll actually have a supporting cast. Um, so you have the first part of the issue is Maria Hill kind of interviewing candidates to work with him, uh, and then the rest of the issue is Hulk action, and Hulk versus uh, uh, this villain, and it's actually pretty cool stuff. They, they fight against AIM, um, there's a nice little bait and switch where they basically send Hulk in as a WMD to fight against, uh, AIM, which is really cool. Uh, also like the use of an old villain, um, which is pretty neat as well. Just really, the Quintronic Man, I don't know a lot about the hero, sorry about the villain, but it was kind of neat to see them Hulk facing off against him. Uh, just, just big, kind of, it's not dumb, but I would say big dumb fun. It felt like a, you know, it's a larger than life movie, and... There's some issues which are going to be more about Bruce Banner side of things, and some issues which are going to be more about the Hulk side of things. But generally speaking, I'm a big fan of how this is done. Uh, I'm not so sure how I feel about Rob, the new recording observation robot, but uh, or bot, sorry. But I thought it was actually pretty cool. Um, I'm a big fan of this book. I'm a big fan of with Mark Wade is having kind of a resurgence in the last few years. He he's been so good on so many different books, and this is yet another feather in his cap. Um, he wrote both this and Daredevil this week, and both were some of the, the better reads I read this week. So I gave this an 8 out of 10. Really good read. Speaking of really good reads, though, we have New Avengers number 2. 
I felt this issue was a lot stronger than issue one. Not that there was anything wrong with issue one, but issue one was a setup issue to Black Panther basically needing to call in the Illuminati. What would it take for him to actually ask for help from that assemblage of people? I mean, considering he was there when they first formed, he was like, you're stupid, this is going to end in ruin. This isn't a might, this will. Um, and so it's interesting now he's kind of bringing them back together. So you have Jonathan Hickman writing it, uh, Steve Epting on artwork. It's an interesting counterpoint to what's going on in Avengers, and I'm wondering if it'll ever cross-sect at all, but I just, I really dig this. This was such a great book. You have um, this this character, Black Swan, being interrogated by Reed Richards. You have, and then you have uh, a great moment with Black Panther and Namor, and Black Panther's basically like, you know, I'm, I'm desperate now. Um, you got to adhere to my rules while you're here, but don't make no mistake when I'm able, when my wants have, which is one of my favorite lines from him, when my wants have replaced my needs, I'm going to kill you. And I love that. He needs Namor now. He needs the Illuminati together. He needs what they all provide. However, he doesn't, he doesn't actually approve of the group. He just, he is a desperate man at a desperate time. He has to turn to this. However, when his wants, um, have you know have, have uh, replaced his needs he's going to kill him and i just love that line like it's chilling and because it's black panther you take it much more seriously if it was anyone else you might think it was a little bit of hyperbole not black panther that guy gets shit done so i really dug that like that was such a cool badass moment um actually seeing the illuminati all together again of course it's different now that xavier's dead but they picked up uh, captain america as a newer newer member uh, it's really cool. You have the the three of the inf- I guess was it three of the Infinity Gems there. Uh, the idea that they're kind of the, there's a great science fiction moment. They're kind of going through basically what's happened, how the timelines are being affected by this this event that's happened, and, uh, and how they're going to have to protect against it. And I love that Steve Rogers is basically saying, "I'm not going to compromise. We're not going to kill worlds. However, we're going to put together the Infinity Gauntlet, and that's." pretty badass like they and so the idea is like they're gonna have to get this all together so in order to do that they have to find all the other gems so in this case it means tony has to get his out of his sock drawer uh dr strange has to get his from where it is but they also need to get charles xavier's and that might be more difficult because they don't know now that charles is dead they don't know where it is so as much as i know that jonathan Hickman wanted to use xavier i kind of like the xavier's dead because it provides another kind of element that they have to find this gem first so half the illuminati will look for the gem and the other half will uh basically band together to start creating an early warning system so that they'll know when it's time to fight against this this oncoming uh you know uh, plight uh and i like the last the last line in the book also is it's uh reed richard saying you know we have to learn how to destroy a world uh, which is the unthinkable. It's actually a phenomenal book, so much stronger than the first issue. I gave this a 9 out of 10. It was well-deserved. This was a great book. Uh, next up is Savage Wolverine number 1. This just felt like there wasn't a lot of thought in it. Um, I mean, you got Frank Cho writing and illustrating. It, you know, it's cheesecake. I gave it a 7 out of 10 because, I mean, it's 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 enjoyable. It's fun. You got... They shield uh, exploration, they're trying to map out an area of an island. Uh, all their systems go dead and they crash. Shanna's on board. And then Wolverine kind of lands in the Savage Land. I don't even know how that happened exactly, but he, you know, sees uh, these um, Cro-Magnons kind of walking through the, the jungle and he, he sees this shield agent who's basically dying. He buries the shield agent and is able to go back 
find out where the uh, ship that the Shield Agent came in on, and then he senses that someone's there, he gets attacked by Shanna, they end up fighting against each other for like a brief moment. Shanna's so happy that Wolverine's there to rescue them, and then she kind of relays the, what's happened to them on this island, and uh, you know they're, they're stuck here, and they were, they have a they're basically there's a bomb that they had, and they were going to try and blow up this dampening field so they could finally get out of there. Um, some you know angry birds basically show up and grab them, and then he gets he attacks one and he gets dropped, and it's going to hurt a lot because he's coming from a fall, a very large fall. Um, there's that's pretty much the issue in a nutshell. Uh, it's a good issue and in terms of artwork. The story, yes, it has a little bit to be desired, but it's not bad. As I said, I think I gave it a seven out of ten. Like, it's 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 enjoyable. It's 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 big dumb fun. And like I was saying, the Indestructible Hulk was kind of big dumb fun. Indestructible Hulk is big dumb fun in more of a fun way, and more of an enjoyable way. With Savage Wolverine, it's more of what's the purpose of this book? How is this an ongoing? He's not going to be here forever. Uh, unless he's going to team up with Shanna forever. Obviously, Shanna looks amazing, because this is what Frank Cho does. He does scantily clad women, and they look fantastic. How long can a book really survive with that, though? Well, actually, maybe a long time. Who knows? <laughs> but I don't know if it necessarily needs to survive that long. Uh, next up is Suicide Squad number 16. I just never really know what's happening with this book. Like, I've been reading, you know, not every issue, but I've read a fair bit of the issues, especially the most recent ones. Uh, Adam Glass wrote this with artwork by Henrik Johnson. Obviously here, Deadshot's still alive, even though he thought he should be dead. Uh, the idea being that so there's some weird kind of shit at work here at Suicide Squad because they should be a lot more damaged than they are, yet they're not dead and they're still alive. And Harley Quinn kind of has this weird moment where she's kind of making... She kisses Floyd and then she's beating him up. And the idea being that like she is basically telling him like there's something's up, but they're allies and they can't let anyone know they have to, everyone has to think that they're enemies, basically. Um, and then they get sent on a mission, and that's kind of the issue. Like, I feel like I've read a few issues here now where I don't really know what's going on, just kind of stuff is happening. Uh, I gave it a six, six and a half out of ten. It's not a bad book, and I like the, uh, the way that Harley Quinn was written, the way that Deadshot was written, but the rest of it just kind of felt weird and scattershot, for lack of a better term. Uh, speaking of a book that felt scattershot and not kind of knowing where it wanted to go, that brings me to Venom number 30. I was such a huge fan of the first two years of this book, for the most part. There's a few issues where I wasn't a huge fan of. Now I just don't know what's going on, uh, or where they're going with this book. I want... I don't know how I feel about the whole demon in, that's been infected, the symbiote thing. Uh, anyways, this is written by Colin Bunn with artwork by Tony Silas and Roger Robinson. Um, artwork by... Sorry, Inks by DeCastro, Mendoza, Bit, or B-I-T, and Robinson, with colors by Mosa and Fabella. It definitely felt like a book that uh, was a bit schizophrenic in terms of artwork. Um, the story, relatively simple and straightforward. You got Venom fighting the UFOs, however, it's not really the best version of Venom. It's because Flash Thompson's been knocked out. He's kind of narrating from the future. Instead, you've got uh, either a combination of the demon inside or the symbiote fighting uh, against the UFOs pretty mercilessly. You also have Valkyrie waking up, and then they basically they end up taking out the UFOs, Venom using the symbiote to kind of manipulate and uh, take over the minds of the, some of the, a lot of the people in this building that they're fighting in, so he can kind of use them against the UFOs. And then uh, everyone kind of disappears, and then when Venom does show up, it's Flash Thompson again. He doesn't really know what's happened, uh, and that's kind of where it ends. Um, he's going to make a fresh new start in Philly. I'm excited to see what that's like. I hope he gets a, a more concrete or really any real supporting cast, although I do like when Valkyrie shows up. Um, 
yeah, it 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 wasn't the best issue of, of Venom. It was still relatively enjoyable, but again, the artwork felt a little bit schizophrenic because you have two different artists and it, and a lot of inkers, so it looks very different in different panels, and the characters aren't necessarily all that consistent either. So, in the, on the end, sorry, in the end, I ended up giving it about a six and a half out of ten uh, because it wasn't the greatest issue. Again, it felt very paint by numbers and very much like it's going to happen. And they're fighting and the blah blah blah, and it didn't feel like a lot more thought went into it than that. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, the next and last book that we're going to look at is X Factor Two Fifty. I uh, give this a seven out of ten. Uh, it kind of felt like a weird issue two fifty. I do like that we're kind of seeing a lot of different plots come kind of come into roost uh, because you have these. Uh, this is the Hell on Earth storyline starting. So you've got the return of uh, Tyr, who's the son of Wolfsbane. You got Wolfsbane's return. You got Darwin showing up again because he's still hunting Tyr. Uh, you also have, uh, I guess, Mephisto's daughter and what's his name, uh, Strong Guy show up. It, it. I did enjoy the issue. I did like how it was narrated by Tyr himself. Um, and kind of him grappling with the severity of the situation because he's always been hunted no matter what, and now he finally gets to kind of be around X Factor, and his mom's there, and it's not a bad issue. I'm I'm curious to see where it goes from here, and who's going to kill Tyr and why and how if they are able to do it. Um, I don't know. I I just feel like this has been gestating for a long time at least, so at least I feel like there's a lot of payoff. That being said, I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, it was okay. Uh, I do like that Peter David is seeing this plot line through, and he's definitely uh, using like basically everything that's led up to this. Like it does feel like we've the readers kind of earned it because he's been laying seeds along the way. We've seen this kind of coming, and now we're finally seeing it happen. That being said, I just personally didn't find it all that interesting to to read, um, but I did give it a seven out of ten. So that's every book that we've looked at. Uh, the books I did not look at include the following. Alpha 0.1, mostly because that's mainly a reprint of, I believe, Amazing Spider-Man 692 or thereabouts, which was the first appearance of Alpha. And so I didn't really care much to review a book that I've already talked about in the past and didn't enjoy when it really happened, when it first happened, sorry. Uh, Dark Avengers 185, Demon Knight 16, Frankenstein Agent of Shade 16, Grifter 16, Legion Lost 16, Punisher Nightmare 3, Ravagers number 8. I unfortunately did not get a chance to read Saga number 9. Maybe next week I'll, I'll throw it in there. Uh, Superboy 16, Team 7 number 4, Threshold number 1, which is unfortunate. I wanted to read Threshold but just didn't get my hands on it. Ultimate Comics Iron Man number 4 and X-Men number 40, uh, which I believe is that last issue of that title as well. Uh, although I gotta say I'm really looking forward to the new X-Men that's coming up. Sorry, not new X-Men. The new X-Men title called X-Men because Brian Wood, will, Brian Wood will once again be writing it and it'll be a predominantly female X-Team, but the artwork will be by Olivier Coipel. And that solves one of the issues I've had with X-Men is the artwork for half the time is atrocious. And I don't haven't cared a lot for the stories they've been telling per se, but at least now the artwork will look gorgeous and maybe it'll be a better story to go with it. I can, one can only hope. Uh, so that has been episode 45 of Comic Shenanigans. This has, again, been every, every comic that came... Well, not every comic, but reviews for comics that came out January the 16th. Uh, our next episode will be episode 46, which will be the top five favorite X-Men characters. Uh, I'll be sitting down with Paul Scorez, Nathan Strzok, and Amber Strzok. I've actually already sat down and done this episode, so we should be going up uh, in probably two days on the 23rd of January. And then on the 30th of January, we'll be having our next uh, Talking Hero Clicks episode, uh, which we'll be looking, well, hopefully, I'll be sitting down with my guest, uh, Nathan Strzok and Leon Orlana, uh, and we'll be talking about 
Heroclix, mainly the, the newest set coming out is Amazing Spider-Man, so there's a lot of fervor over that. So we'll, be, we'll have a lot to talk about. There's an updated player's guide that came out recently, so there will be a lot of things for us to talk about on that episode. I'm really excited about it, and uh, we haven't recorded that one yet, so hopefully we like to record the Heroclix episodes just before they go up, so they're as current as possible. So hopefully that's a really good episode, and hopefully you'll make sure to tune into that one. That will be episode 48. Again, that will be going up on January the 30th. So thanks once again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans, and we will see you next time. This has been Adam Chapman, and I'm signing off. Bye-bye.